Kura and welcome. This is At a Loss, a podcast about living fully alongside death when grief is present in your life, how to have a rich and full life. My name's Timothy Giles. I'm a funeral celebrant, and as a part of that, the privilege of, of that work, I get to meet a lot of people who have found ways to live full lives even when death has made its presence felt. I suspect that probably one of the most confronting times that death arrives is when it's the death of a baby. Sarah Lane, thank you for coming in for this conversation. Now, you volunteer in that area and in that experience. I do, yes. Thanks, Tim. Um, I volunteer for an organisation called SANS, who deal with bereaved parents following the loss of a baby at any gestation and under any circumstance. Um, We are not counsellors. We're not trained counsellors. We're there as peer support. We're all bereaved families. We've all been through it. Um, And, yeah, I, I want to give back to the society, the, the care that I got. When you lost your firstborn, how, how many children have you got? I have two boys. I am mum to Josh, who was still born in 2007. And I have Harrison, who's just turned 10. I don't think I've ever had anyone answer that question the way you just did. I'm still a mum, even though my baby is not here physically. I gave birth to him. If you look at the definition of mum or mother, um, it's the relation of a woman to her child. So you're still a mum. So, Josh being your firstborn. Yep. And 2007, and you lost Josh. Yep, Josh was still born at 21 weeks. Is this something I should ask you about, or should I just talk about Harrison? No. Um, Acknowledging Josh is a huge thing for a bereaved parent to go through. Um, I I can't forget that I gave birth to him. And he's part of my life. He's made me who I am today. So acknowledgement is is vital. So what do I ask you about? Do I ask you about how you lost Josh, about what the experience was. Are you? Uh, what's the impact it had on you and, and, and on your relationship with Josh's father? How, how far do I go in this conversation? What do I do? Um, it's, a, it's really tricky to talk about with people um, who have not been through it. They kind of step back because it's the death of a baby. It's grief on a whole different level compared to the loss of a grandparent. I've lost grandparents and so you grieve and all the memories you've had you've got photographs and you talk about great stories when it's a baby that only you or your husband have seen it's harder for society to accept that loss do you think it's harder for you to accept it um, how, how how did it arrive that you lost josh because you, you had to adapt to something that you didn't want, you didn't see coming. Yeah, I mean, from the minute you see the pregnancy test and you've got that line there, you're pregnant, your life changes, you're making plans. So you've this got, is what happened for you? you yeah. yeah. So you've got the 
plans, the dreams are in place. Is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? You start thinking of names, decorating the nursery. And so had you done all this with Josh? So you'd found out it was a boy. Yep. Right, you were having a boy. You'd chosen the name. Yes. Yeah. We knew from, from early on if it was a boy, we'd pick the name. And so we go along and then we find out that there's complications with the pregnancy and he was still born at 21 weeks. Okay. The experience in hospital was, um, probably looking back, was fast. We didn't have a lot of time with him. And we were advised to take in a camera. Now, looking back now, we, we thought that was just weird. Why would you want to take a camera for this? And the midwife team were fantastic and they took photographs of us as, as a family. I have a photograph of me and my husband and Josh and we're smiling at him. He was our plans, but our world just came crashing down. You know, he, it wasn't how it was planned. You, you knew that you had a stillborn baby boy. Yeah. And that's what you were going in to deliver, correct? Yeah. That sounds incredibly challenging thing to go through. It was. Um, mentally, I probably tried to shut off what was happening in a way so I could process it myself. Um, my husband, unbeknown to me at the time, had found out the day before that he was losing his job but didn't tell me to protect me. And then we had our boy. And you took a camera in? We took a camera in. At the time, we still, still couldn't understand why. And then the midwife team came in and took some photographs. Because at the end of the day, that's all we were going to have. We were leaving hospital without a child. Um, we were on a maternity ward where you can hear people. Fortunately for us, we were at the, at the bottom end. But I know through experience of talking with other bereaved parents, they've been next door to people giving birth to live babies. So here we were leaving the hospital with empty arms. Dreams gone, shattered. And, and yet you've been through the whole biological experience of giving birth. And Yep. Um, full labour, which is, was a lot of work for little reward at the end of it. Um, from other parents that I've spoken to who have lost babies, even later, say 38 weeks, they go through all the um, hormonal things that you would go through if you're giving birth to a live baby. So I hear of mothers whose milk comes in afterwards, but their baby's gone, but they still go through that process. But you were smiling in the photographs. And when you talked about the photographs, you smiled at me. He was our plan. He was our baby. You're doing it again. You're we, smiling again. <laughs> we made him. That, you know, he, he was perfect. To look at, he was perfect. He was a little tiny baby. And he's changed who we are as people. How? We see things differently. We realise what's important in life. Things beforehand... For example, a colleague of mine had a broken shower. This was at the time that we'd had Josh and she complained about the shower being broken and it was the end of her world. And I was like, the shower can be fixed. 
I can't bring my bow home. I can't change that. Broken shelf. Does that help you in your own life now when your shower gets broken? Cause... It does. <laughs> Don't tell my husband. It does. If things go wrong, we just look at them and go, that's okay. We, as people, we can fix it. Or we can get somebody who can fix it. We've been through something that can't be fixed. It can't be fixed, but it seems that it can be accommodated. You, you're talking about this and you're teaching me how to have the conversation with you and you don't seem uncomfortable. No, as I've gone through the years, obviously it was difficult initially. Um, there's no time frame on grief. Everybody deals with it differently. I can't say to you, well, you should do it this way or you do it that way. Everybody's completely different. As the time goes on, I've learned just how to carry it, how to deal with it, how to answer people if they ask me. I can judge as well. You, you kind of become magic people and you can gauge who is going to be able to deal with your answer into how many children have you got. So I feel comfortable with telling people and I know when not to tell people. For example, um, a month after we lost Josh, we uh, my husband severed a tendon in his hand and I rang for the ambulance. The paramedics arrived and they were seen to him and they said, you need to pack a bag, he's going to go to Middlemall. And we were just kind of looking at each other and, OK, that's fine. And the question they asked was, have you got any children? Now, we looked at each other and thought, what kind of question is that? What's that got to do with a cut hand and we didn't know we just didn't know how to answer him because that was the first time we'd been asked if we had children so there was a heavy air of silence and the ambulance men were looking as if to say well it's a straightforward simple question and we looked at each other and said well why so well, you need to arrange care pick them up from school and I just quickly blurted out and said no it's okay I have a son but he's on the shelf in the bedroom and the look on those guys' faces, they were mortified. <laughs> they were very apologetic, which was lovely. And my husband and I just laughed and thought, well, how do I answer it? I don't know. It's such a loaded question. You, you then laughed? We did. We found the funny side of it. But Yeah, OK, so the absurdity. That sounds like a moment of healing between you and your husband, too. Yeah, and... We're human beings, you know, we we don't have just two emotions, like happy or sad. We're, we're just human. Yes, things get suppressed through grief, but you can still laugh about situations. Um, and But it, we just found it such a, looking back, it's such a loaded question now for a bereaved parent. How many children have you got? Or do you have children? And I'd imagine... For you, that was early on from... Yeah, it was a month. ...giving birth to... Right, that's yeah. early on. Yeah. But as as time's gone on, I've learned how to answer that question. Is this something... So with Sam's and, and having support groups and, and, and conversations with other bereaved parents, is this something that you have to help them deal with? It? Like the, because that... Gosh, I can only imagine if I have seen a colleague or a neighbour pregnant... And then I see them, and they're clearly pregnancy's complete. I'm going to go, where's the baby? And that's come through from support groups that we do. We hear different stories like that. How do they tell 
people that they're no longer pregnant. One day you are, the next day you're not. Um, we see losses from... Is there an answer? No. No, that's the wrong answer. You're the expert in this. You've been doing this for 13 <laughs> years. What's the answer? You, it, de- it just depends on... If somebody, like a neighbour, would come out and ask you, then tell them. Tell them what happened. If you can. Obviously, some cases might be more traumatic than others. And and time, right? The first time. The first time is always the hardest. Yeah. But you develop it over time on how to tell people. How do you help help people through this? Because you've been doing this for years now. Yeah. Right? And you must have had these conversations many times with different people. If if I have a friend who goes through this or, you know, a, a colleague or someone I know, what do, how do I help? What do I do? Acknowledge it. The first step is to acknowledge the pregnancy. It's hard when people have miscarried early on because they've not told people that they're pregnant because they're waiting for that safe zone, whatever that safe zone may be. Usually we're taught it's 12 weeks ah. because less can happen after that. Um, so people don't go around shouting from the rooftops that they're pregnant. But if that baby's lost before 12 weeks, how can they share that with somebody who says, well, I didn't even know you were pregnant? We've had conversations with a counsellor and a bereavement specialist, Maria Miller, and she talks about some of the hardest forms of grief are those ones that are hidden and not acknowledged. And my very reluctance to acknowledge this because I feel awkward about, I don't, even when we began this conversation, and I knew what this conversation was going to be, and my chest went tight, and and I'm just asking you those questions, I felt anxious. So we need to change a social etiquette that then I acknowledge, and and what, you, you will let me know if you want to talk or not? What have you heard from your your bereaved parents, all the ones that you've spent time with? We've heard some horror stories. We've heard of people whose friends cross the street from them to avoid them because they don't want to talk about it. I think as a society thing, it's just we don't talk about grief enough, yet it's there in everyday life. And I think it's even harder when it's a baby. Baby Loss Awareness Week. I didn't even know there was such a thing. That's what it's called, right? It is, yeah. Baby Loss Awareness Week. Every year? Every year from the 9th to the 15th of October, and it's international as well. I'd never heard of it until I became part of SANS. So we lost Josh in the September, and my midwife sent me a little leaflet saying, this event's happening, maybe you want to go along. Um, the, The immediate reaction following the loss is, I need counselling. Now, we have nothing against counsellors. We're not trained counsellors. We're just people who have been through it. Um, And sometimes that's enough for parents to connect with other parents who have been through it. That's strong enough to help them through. So I went along to the event. This took place a month after we had Josh. And I was overwhelmed by the amount of people that were there to think that they were all grieving parents. They look so normal. Because we are, you know, we're not freaks of nature. But you just don't know from passing somebody on the street if they're a grieving parent or not. Can we talk about some of the numbers of people who are bereaved parents? So miscarriage affects one in four 
women. And our case, well, it affects one in a hundred births um, between 20 weeks and a week, uh, a month, sorry, of, of being born. So one in every hundred will die. That's a lot. It is. And until you're in that area, that zone, you just don't know the figures. You don't see how many it affects. So there's a support group, right? So I imagine that's what it's it's bereaved parents getting together, having a court at all. Tell me about what SANS does, because there's a lot of work to be done. This is a lot of people. There is, and it was invisible for yeah. me. So thank you for sharing this conversation. What do you what do you actually do? So we are a national group, and in fact, there's international groups. There's SANS Australia and SANS UK. Um, it was set up in 1986 by a lady called Rosemary Wesley. She'd lost her daughter, but had no idea in terms of funeral arrangements, how to deal with it, what to expect. And so um, she put a little notice out there and 20 people turned up to her initial advert saying, I've had this experience too. And from then on, they formed the group and it's snowballed from there. So we we provide support. We have phone support. We have online support. There's a bereavement Facebook group where parents can log on and chat. Um, and yeah, we we also help with studies. Um, Sands National have been involved with Sleep on Your Side campaign. Uh, Department of Internal Affairs have launched um, a massive website in terms of what to do as a brief parent, so IRD, funeral arrangements, making memories, lots of information on there. So SANS were, were advised. Making um, memories, what, what, what do you do around making memories? So we had our photographs because that's where we took yeah. our camera and we, we were able to do that. These days it's a lot more advanced. So we, as SANS Auckland, we provide hand and inkless um Inkless hand and footprint kits to hospitals so they can get little prints of baby's hands and feet for the parents to keep. And there's a memory book that we provide to them as well if they want to keep all the details in there. And, um, yeah, it's it's taking away as much as you can from that small amount of time that you have with your baby. We believe it's an important part of the grieving process. What have you heard from other bereaved parents about that as part of the grieving process of, of, of how it helps? Not everybody takes it. Um, everybody will deal with it in their own way. I actually spoke with a lady this week who chose not to have any photographs taken. There's a, a fantastic group out there at the minute called Heartfelt who offer professional photography free of charge um, and they send the photographs to the parent to look at when the when the parents are ready they might not want to look at them straight away so you know we we're glad we had our photographs albeit home done ones but they're great that that's what we have so heartfelt as professional photographers and this is like... yeah they're all they're volunteers there's a network of volunteers who will go into hospitals free yes what remarkable people. Yes. Do you know very, why they do it? They're very special. Hmm. I wonder if you were stuck in grief. Do, do you think that you are stuck? No, I don't. I, 
I attended the support groups myself for a while. It was the highlight of my calendar. It's quite sad. Um, but they were my people. They were people who got it. Things I was going through would resonate with another person. And yeah, so after probably about eight or nine months, I got to a place where I felt comfortable to not attend. I was happy where I was. I'd happy I'd got through the rough storm initially. Um, and then I felt I wanted to give back. What is it that that, that you give? You know, you're giving something that, that, that you experience is of value. And thank you for this conversation, right? I mean, oh, this is obviously awareness building that you're doing and, and educating. When, when you said you go into church, a church to <laughs> hospital and you give those inkless hand and footprint sets, right? So you're dealing with clinical and administrative staff at hospital, not just bereaved parents. Yeah, correct. We we build up a relationship with the hospitals that we look at look after in the area and we will go in, we will chat and train mid with midwives and, you know, tell them what the experience as a bereaved parent is like and how they can offer full care. Because they're training to be midwives and delivering hundreds of babies, healthy babies, but there will come a time when they're going to get that one case. Those midwives, well, one in a hundred, right? Those midwives, they must, that must be hard. They're all about generating life. And, and I mean, do they need support? What's the conversation with midwives? Yep, they will um, have a network within the hospital to um, sort of debrief after a heavy case like that. They find talking to each other and um, supervision they will get as well yeah. within the hospitals. And we also, you know, we're quite happy to go to AUT once a year and chat with year one student midwives and explain to them how, how it's going to look. And it's going to happen. It will. It will. We don't want to scare people, but it will happen. It's a reality. That's the whole point behind this podcast series at a loss is so often death arrives and people I hear say to me, oh, I didn't see that coming. Um, right, what's gonna, I can see that it's n not so readily anticipated in such an early stage of life. No, because you get different, you get a loss at a different gestation. So it could be early loss up to 12 weeks. We see um, losses just throughout the whole pregnancy. And people, unfortunately, out there have to make informed decisions. So, you know, we're there for every single loss if they want support. So here's what I've got out of this conversation is I need to be ready to acknowledge and have a conversation and Man, I'm going to have to listen back to this podcast and get this coaching again. So thank you <laughs> for, for opening this, this conversation. Um, I feel much more comfortable than I did at the start of this corridor. But goodness me, I still feel a tension in, in, my chest. I th in my chest. I think you're being incredibly generous in this. So I'm going to reflect on that and thank you. What, what's your, what are your closing thoughts? So anybody who's listening who is bereaved, um, you're not alone. Uh, we're here. We've got people, you know, we've been through it. We understand it. Surround yourself with people who understand you 
and can talk about it. Even if you just want somebody to sit with, but you don't have to talk and just take one day at a time, do what works for you. There's no manual on how to deal with it. Why haven't you written one? (laughs) Maybe I should. (laughs) That could be my next thing. Um, But yeah, just do what works for you. And anybody listening who's not a bereaved parent, but knows of somebody who is, talk to them. Remember their babies. You're not upsetting them by mentioning it because they're never going to forget it. They live with it for the rest of their lives now. I'm often told by people who are in grief or been through grief to say, just ask me what I need. Yep. And so tell people what you need, whether it's a meal or just, you know, give me some space. Tell people what you actually need. I needed this conversation. Thank you for coming in and and sharing it. This is what At A Loss, the podcast series, is about. Conversations that we don't normally get to have. Thank you.